Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, host of The Overwhelmed Brain, the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and much, much, much lower levels of stress and overwhelm. All right, before we get into the meat of the show, I want to address something that I briefly mentioned last week, which is a letter that I received from a 40-plus-year-old woman. I won't tell the real age, just in case uh, it gives away any private details about her. But she was slapped across the face from a family member. And uh, this letter stumped me. I wasn't sure what to give her for advice because... What do you do when you have a disability where you need help and one of those people hurts you? What do you do? What can you do? Are, are there any resources other than those people that you can reach out to? She seemed to be in a pretty bad place because those people that were helping her are her family. And her family comes over and takes care of things for her and... She was slapped across the face, and that is a dangerous situation to be in, especially because of the disability she has. Again, I'm keeping her privacy, so I don't want to tell you what that is, but she does require assistance in many things in her life. And to have this kind of abusive behavior from the people that are helping you, what do you do? How do you get beyond this? How do you fix this problem. So I had to sit on this for probably two or three weeks to figure out, you know, if I was in this situation and I had this disability, uh, what would I do? It took a while for me to respond to her. And I finally did this morning. And the thought came to mind that 
if I needed help and I was in this type of environment where people were helping me, but the same people that were helping me were also abusing me in some way, or at least one of them, I would absolutely do what I can to get the abuser out of my life. Even if they are the person that is helping me get through things in life. Because one of the most important values of mine is that you respect me and you respect my home and you respect my space and you respect my body. Because if you're physically hurting me, then I have more respect for myself than tolerance for you hurting me. And I just want that to resonate with you for a minute. When you have more respect for yourself than someone else's anger, than someone else's aggressiveness or violence against you or abuse against you, then you'll do what it takes to get them out of your life. And if that means you leave, you do it. If that means you can get them to leave, you do it. Because you value yourself more than other needs. Now, again, this is a tough situation. And my, my suggestion in this case may or may not work. There, there are probably factors that I'm not considering that I, you know, this person absolutely needs these other people to help them. Maybe they have no other friends. Maybe there's no other family. Maybe they have no money. I mean, there are circumstances that can and do exist that would prevent this person or anyone in this situation from getting the help they need. But in my experience and from what I've been through in my life, where I've come up against a wall and I felt like there are absolutely no other options available to me, I took the worst case scenario. I just let it happen. In fact, I live my life by that now. If I'm up against the wall and I can see no other alternative and I'm valuing myself over other people's dysfunction, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. If you value yourself over other people's dysfunction and you're putting yourself in harm's way to accommodate them, I just don't think that's a good place to be. And my position on this is to get out of that situation or get them out of your environment and then let the chips fall where they may. Now, this is hard and this isn't exactly my, quote, advice. It's just something that I would do. I would get them out of, let me, let me rephrase that. I would get them the hell out of my environment. I would get them the hell away from me. If you are going to come into my house and abuse me, I don't care if you're coming in to pay me $5,000 a week and clean my house. If you're abusing me, you're out of here because I value me over your dysfunction. That's what I want for you. I want you to value you so much that you're willing to go the distance for you. Otherwise, you're going the distance for them. Otherwise, you're giving in to their needs, their wants, their desires, their dysfunctions, their anger, their fears, their insecurities. Go the distance for yourself. Now, that's a, that's a hard thing for me to say because that means sometimes major life changes. 
it's a hard thing for me to tell you because, you know, a lot could happen. I mean, you could be in a worse situation for yourself, but maybe you wouldn't be abused anymore. Maybe you wouldn't be subject to other people's angers or fears or insecurities. Maybe you'd be off, better off in that position and just have to deal with the other things that they used to do for you. You know, I see this a lot in uh, codependent relationships where one person is very abusive and the other person is enabling that abuse. And I ask you, if you're the one in an abusive situation, what is it going to take to get to a point where you're sick of being abused? And if you're in that position now, I'm sure you're saying, I'm already sick of being abused, but I can't get out. I can't because... I have kids or I have bills or I have no job experience. I have no family around here or I'm in a, I'm in a place that if I were to get this person out of my life, then I have nothing and I won't know what to do. This is a hard choice to make. I'm not saying it's easy. And again, I'm not saying this is what you need to do. But if it were me, I would look at my life and go, I don't care if I end up on the street. I don't care if I end up hungry. Because eventually I will find someone that will give me food. Eventually I will find shelter. But right now, I'm in danger. Today, I am in danger. Today, I am being abused. And I can either stay and keep developing that abused mind that gets more and more tolerant of the abuse. Or I can start respecting myself and get into a place that honored me over anything. Again, this isn't my advice and this isn't something I'm saying that you should do because you have your own circumstances to deal with and uh, your own consequences that will definitely happen when you start honoring yourself, especially in abusive situations. But look at yourself a year from now, 10 years from now, if these circumstances never change. Who are you? in five years, if these circumstances never change? How much more have you taken in those five years? That's a hard thing to look at. That's a hard place to be because you know it's not pleasant. If you're in that kind of environment, an abusive or hurtful or someone's angry or fearful all the time and they're spewing all their dysfunction all over you, how long is it going to last? And if it has lasted for a long time, you can bet on that it will continue. So I don't mean to put the fear or scare in you about this, but I've talked to too many people that are in bad relationships or have bad circumstances that continue to cause them grief. And, you know, my philosophy in life is if more than 30 or 40% of your day, every day, is trying to cope and trying to deal with the people around you, then maybe something needs to change. Or how about 60 to 80% of your day, every day, is spent unhappy? Something needs to change. These are huge changes sometimes, and they're not easy. And sometimes you do have to plan for them. Sometimes you just can't pack up in the middle of the night and leave. Sometimes you do have to plan for them. And 
Yes, it can take money, it can take time, and it can take lots of risks. But where are you today and where will you be in a year? And will things ever change? And So again, I don't mean to bring you down or uh, paint this awful picture for you if you're in that situation. Because really the picture I'm painting is that you have this power inside of you. You are empowered to make decisions that are right for you. You just sometimes get afraid to make those decisions. The people I work with, I like to get them to this empowered place. And sometimes they want to save the relationships they're in. And sometimes they just need that strength or confidence installed in them so that they can make decisions that um, take them away from the relationships they're in. This isn't always romantic relationships. Sometimes it's family relationships and friendships, just other like work environment and places where you feel unempowered, places where you feel like somebody's taking your power away. That's sort of where I go when I talk about the abused mind. The abused mind just takes more and more and more punishment and the water gets hotter and hotter and you never jump out because you'd rather just get to that boiling point where it's burning you instead of jumping out of the pot to figure out what else there is in the world. Our comfort zone gets hotter and hotter and so many more things are outside that comfort zone that we can either stay in the hot water getting hotter and never healing from what we need to heal from or we're with people who just can't heal for one reason or another or we jump out and figure out what else is out there. You know, sometimes you do have to take big steps and let the chips fall where they may. So I just wanted to address that because of that letter. I did write back to her and give her pretty much that same advice. If it were me, this is what I would do. It's not really advice. It was, it's just a perspective. But I do know this. When you're in the thick of it, when you're in a bad place like that, you usually don't see too many options. And then when you take a bold step to get out of that bad place, suddenly options open up that you never even considered. It's a big step and it really depends on what's motivating you. If fear is your primary motivation for things, then you're going to make decisions that keep you in a place of fear. But if desire and honoring yourself to the fullest is what motivates you, then you're going to find that your decisions lead to a positive place of more peace and less stress in your life, which is what I want for you. So I want to thank the person who wrote that and my heart goes out to you and I do hope that that abusive situation stops for you in any way it possibly can. And I wish you the best. Let's go right into our next segment called Ask Paul. Welcome back. I want to talk to you about getoutofthemess.com. One of the things I really enjoy about having this service available is that I can use, I can actually call an attorney anytime I need one just to talk. (laughs) Not like in a therapeutic way, but (laughs) if I have any questions regarding anything that I'm going through, if I have 
an extended warranty problem and their store is not honoring this, the extended warranty. I can just call them and say, hey, this is happening. Can you write me a letter? Can you call them? Can you do something to help me out? And almost always they say, sure, we'll help you out. For $20 a month, you can get what I like to call legal insurance. It's through a company called Legal Shield, but Asha, who joins me once a week, is an independent associate for Legal Shield. So if you want to make sure that you have legal insurance for any of these small situations that come up at any time, then get in touch with Asha. Call her at 678-355-8777. Or you can write to her at asha at getoutofthemess.com. I highly, highly recommend this service because what you get is peace of mind. What you get is less stress, less worry. What you get is not being cornered and put up against the wall where you are in a place that you're not sure what to do. Have you ever looked online to figure out, what can I do about this? What can I do about this terrible neighbor? (laughs) What can I do about this store that won't take back their defective product? What can I do about the mechanic who overcharged me when I have a written estimate or whatever? You have these little things that happen to us all the time that for most of my life, I've just dealt with. I've just lost money on. I've just swallowed my pride and said, well, there's nothing I can do about it. But now I have an attorney that I can call anytime and get letters written and phone calls. And if I needed to take it to court, I can get discount on representation. It's it's a no-brainer for me. And I think it is for you too. So call Asha. Get connected with this service. 678-355-8777. And although Asha isn't joining us today, you never know where she's going to show up. <laughs> Go to getoutofthemess.com and get connected with her today. All right, this next segment is called Ask Paul, where I read a listener email on the air and do my best to uh, help them resolve their challenge in life. And the one I'm going to read next is a short one because I've kind of already addressed this in another episode, but I do want to make a comment on it in this one. And it has to do with chronic pain. So um, if you've been listening a while, you probably heard my episode called The Pain of Chronic Pain. And uh, you can look that up in iTunes or just look it up on my website at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Look for chronic pain. Otherwise, let me read you the letter and uh, give you my thoughts on this particular email. Hi, Paul. I found your podcast a few months back and I love it. I find your words and messages very inspiring and they have helped me a lot. The reason for my email is because I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on people living with rare medical conditions. I suffer from and forgive me if I mispronounce this, Chieri malformation. And apparently it's a disease that's not much known in the mainstream. I had surgery in July 2014 and was told that I was cured. <laughs> Laugh out loud. As time has gone, I still suffer from all of the post-surgery symptoms. Numbness, tingling, weakness in my arms and legs, headaches, extreme fatigue, and other goodies. I was told in August of 2015 that I am now suffering from permanent nerve damage, and the best I can hope for is a way to maintain a good quality of life and minimize my symptoms as best as possible. I have had some really dark places in my life due to this condition, but I find myself in a decent place as I type this. Each day is a crapshoot, and I struggle to just make it through a day of work. 
and I'm seeking other medical opinions in hopes of some type of cure. I'm emailing you because I was hoping that you might have some words of encouragement. Anything will help. I'm a fighter and I want to get better, but I've been told that getting better is not really an option. It's not all doom and gloom. I've been going for walks each day for over a year now, but I hit a huge low point last February and vowed to fight this. I know we all face our own struggles in life, but when I have trouble with my body performing basic day-to-day functions, they can really weigh me down. Thank you so much for taking the time to read this, and I hope to hear back from you. All right, thank you so much for writing that. I'm going to call you John. John, uh, the only way I can relate to this is something I told on the episode that I referred to before reading your letter, which is the pain of chronic pain. And that's where I told the story of of my 15-year battle with sciatic nerve pain. And there was really nothing I could do about it for many, many years. And it got worse and worse over time. It got to the point where I just thought, what's the point? What's the point of living like this? What's the point of dealing with this pain day after day after day? And it was hard. And I didn't think it was going to ever be resolved. And uh, what I talk about in that episode is to accept that it will never go away. Now, that's really odd (laughs) to say. If you've heard me on that episode, you know why I said it. And I'll explain it real quick here. That's because once you accept that the pain will never go away, then you stop obsessing over it. Then you start realizing that you're going to have the pain no matter what, so you might as well start focusing on other things. I know that's so easy to say, and I know it's not going to make the pain go away, but what it does do is free you from the suffering of that pain, because suffering is not pain. Suffering is the drama that we add to the pain. There is real suffering in the world. But when we do it because of pain that will not go away, how long do we want to suffer? There is a point where we just go, I'm sick of suffering. And that's what it sounds like you're, you've reached. It sounds like the point you've reached is that you're sick of suffering. What can I do? Now, that's sort of impractical advice. It's easy for me to say that from a place of no pain now because I eventually got my sciatic nerve operated on or my back actually. (laughs) I have a metal rod in my back now but it took 95% of that sciatic nerve pain away and I'm grateful. Ever since that day I've been grateful but there was a point where I accepted that it would never go away. So what did I do? I worked with it. I thanked the pain for being there for the signals that it was giving me. And I also said, all right, you've given me the signal. You can stop signaling me. I know it's there. (laughs) You don't have to keep telling me it's there. I know I need to do something about it, but I can't. What do you want me to do? I can't. I would argue with it. (laughs) I would do everything I can and treat it almost as if it were a separate entity. Now, the good news about that 
is that there are alternatives to feeling that pain. Now, what I'm about to say is going to be maybe unorthodox for you and a lot of people listening, and uh, also maybe not even part of my belief system. But my belief system should not shield you from what it's po- is possible. My belief system should not shield you from what could actually work for you. I know it sounds a little odd, but hang with me for a while. I'm also going to tell you something that uh, is just an opinion. It's not medical advice. It's not um, from a PhD standpoint. It's not from any type of doctor. It's just my opinion. And if I were in your shoes, this is probably what I would do. If I cannot get relief from where from the pain I'm going through, if I can't find, you know, regular medicine, regular doctors that are that to help me through this pain or to at least get me to a place of being able to tolerate the pain day after day, then I'm going to seek alternatives. I'm going to seek something outside practical means. Again, this is unorthodox for me, and it is unusual to hear on a practical personal growth show like this, but sometimes you reach the limits of practicality and you have to look deeper. You have to go deeper. You may have to explore things that don't make sense, that don't, that aren't logical. You may have to explore things that are outside of your belief system. This isn't something I normally share on the air. This isn't something I necessarily fully uh, embrace myself. But there are energy healers out there. There are spiritual healers out there. It's crazy for me to even say this right now (laughs) because I don't teach this. This is not something I do. Now, when I say energy healers or spiritual healing, you can attribute this to anything you'd like, whether that's God or a universal energy of some sort or the force, (laughs) whatever works for you, because it really does come down to how the mind structures information and how it creates your belief system. But I will say this, I, I do believe that when you suffer to the point where it just never ends, that sometimes you have to go beyond logic. Sometimes you have to go beyond what seems like the practical thing to do and just try something else. Now, why am I telling you this? If I don't really embrace these beliefs that you know energy works and psychic healing works, if I don't really embrace those beliefs, it doesn't mean they're not true. And I also have a belief that what the mind believes can facilitate healing. Now, let me explain that. If you met someone who, was, who claimed to be a psychic healer or an energy healer or a spiritual healer or any type of healer that is not your typical doctor, and you really resonated with that person, and they did something with you that changed something about you, whether it is your your attitude, your thought processes, 
or maybe even had you made you feel better. If you did something with them and made you feel better, would you go back to them? Or would you leave going, well, that's ridiculous. They work with things that don't even make sense. They didn't even touch me. All they did was come in the room and wave their arms or hands around me, and then they left the room. But an hour later, I felt good. Would you still dismiss it? Or would you try it again? Now, don't get me wrong. There are false healers out there. There are people that charge money and pretend they're doing something and don't do anything. And you just have to kind of be careful and select the right people. Just like there are, um, I hate to say this, (laughs) people in the medical profession that aren't as good as some other people in the medical profession. And sometimes you have to be selective and find the right person. And sometimes you have to go the alternative route once you've exhausted all of your options. Now, you may be a full believer in energy healing or psychic readings or psychic healing or whatever. And that's great. Because if you are, even better. Because, and here's my justification for all of this, because this is really strange for me to even say. (laughs) Because if you are a believer, then the more you believe, the more your body will agree to facilitate healing. Again, this comes from an opinion, not something that I read in a textbook, not something that was given to me by divine guidance. This is just something I know to be true. And that involves belief, that involves faith, that involves my spirituality and how I work through the pain in life, both emotional and physical pain. This involves my belief system and It doesn't mean that I seek those things every time I need help. I almost always go the practical route because there's almost always a tool in my tool belt that I can use. But I've been known to talk with people and say, you know what you might want to try? I just have a feeling this will work for you is XYZ, is a spiritual healer, is a shaman, is, is somebody that you can resonate with in some way. And there's so much we don't understand about our own bodies, let alone how the universe works in many, many ways. So it's not for me to discount any possibility of getting out of pain. It's not for anyone to discount a possibility that you might find pain relief in some other modality in life than typical Western medicine. Does it mean that you stop going to regular doctors and regular medical visits? Absolutely not. Everything can work in conjunction with other things. But sometimes you find something that works for you and it just might surprise you. Now, what I was starting to say, and I kind of got off track, is that if the mind believes it, it can help your body facilitate change and healing the mind believes it. So what do you believe and how does that work? I mean, there's so much study there that it blows my mind. (laughs) It's beyond me. But if you truly believe something, it changes 
your physical state. It changes your attitude. It changes what motivates you and it changes so much inside of you. And it's all connected. And if you walk away from someone who waved their hands over you or touched you and somehow you feel better, why would you not then go with it? Go in that direction. For example, there are hypnotists that use hypnosis to help you with pain control. And I've heard very successful stories because I used to be in the circle of hypnotists. I've never actually done hypnosis for pain control, but I've heard it over and over again that it can and does work. Again, these are only my opinions and things that I would do, and I'm not recommending or suggesting that you do them, but I am saying that to keep an open mind and work with the doctors that you've already been seeing in hopes to just get you out of the signal that your body is sending you. Because the body is saying, hey, there's something that needs addressing here. So I'm going to send you a pain signal. And this pain signal tells you what needs to be worked on. In some beliefs, you might be told to ask the pain what its purpose is. In some beliefs, they'll say, just close your eyes and ask that pain what its purpose is. And when you do it, you might get answers. Because some people do believe, and I go along this belief system too, that when you repress things, when you have things that you need to resolve in yourself, that pain is a way to let you know that, hey, I'm here to be resolved. I'm ready when you are. (laughs) And pain can also be very mechanical, meaning there's something inside your body that's not functioning correctly. That's what happened to me with my sciatic nerve pain. I went to an acupuncturist once who did all these things to my leg and my butt, and she was trying to get uh, me to not feel so much pain from that sciatic nerve. And at the end of the session, she was like, your leg is very angry with you. (laughs) And I was like, huh? And uh, I thought, well, how do I not get it to be angry with me? And she's like, I don't know, but you must have some unresolved anger. And I left thinking, well, that's not helpful. (laughs) Now, uh, at the time, I probably did have some unresolved anger. But I also had a disc that degenerated and pushed down on the nerve. Mechanically, I was feeling pain. It was pushing down on the nerve. Now, do I have a belief that the body can heal itself and regenerate that disc? I think it's possible, but I don't have a belief enough that it's just going to happen where I'm going to stay in pain for many, many, many more years until it does happen. So I finally had medical insurance one day and went and got surgery. And that's what resolved my pain. But that's not to say that she wasn't wrong. And it's not to say that I've worked with clients myself that have been in pain. And once we got through some of their emotional stuff, a lot of that pain went away. Because the body gives you signals. Sometimes it's pain. Sometimes it's feelings. Uh, You feel good. You feel bad. The body's always giving you signals. And a lot of us don't equate emotions with uh, physical pain. But a lot of us can also remember when we were broken up with the physical pain we felt. Or when we hold on to anger, the physical pain that developed. So the body comes up with these interesting and unique ways to tell you, hey, you need to deal with something. 
and sometimes it's emotional. Then we go beyond and, and we can explore that if it's not emotional and we can't figure out a way to resolve the physical symptoms of this pain, maybe we need to go even further into the depth of something that we don't expose ourselves to too often. And whatever that means to you, whatever you're drawn to, or maybe you have a friend that knows someone that does something like that. I know someone that does something like that, and she's phenomenal. But this is a road that you need to explore and figure out where you're comfortable going. I know there are a lot of people in pain that just get sick of it and will try anything. If you're really open to really trying anything, then the answer will come, I promise. Because once you open yourself up to that and your mind is no longer closed, opportunities present themselves. I just had a client recently where she was in a relationship that while she was with him, she felt miserable. She was never sure of what he was thinking and she just felt down and unloved and she could never get beyond that feeling. But as soon as they separated, opportunities started coming into her life and things started changing for her positively. She still misses some of the stuff that she had with this other person, but more and more opportunities and more and more happiness came into her life. And she was absolutely thrilled that things were going in a different direction. All because she got out of that cloudy state of being. That's where I want you to go. I want you to get out of that cloudy state or closed state of mind or wherever you think you are now and just be open to whatever's possible. So that's all I can tell you. Definitely tune into the episode on theoverwhelmedbrain.com called The Pain of Chronic Pain. And I hope you get something from that. And I hope you get something from my unusual suggestions in this segment. Hey, you never know until you try, right? <laughs> I wish you the best. And thank you so much for writing. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. And I want to just read this second email real quick because I received a lot of emails lately and I want to get through as many as I can. I don't normally get to more than one on one episode, but I am trying to condense my answers a little bit so I can get to as many as I can. So let's go with this one. This is from someone named Jane, a made-up name, of course. Hi, Paul. After 10 years of being married to the love of my life, I found out that he was hooked on drugs and had also cheated on me. It felt like exactly the term you used in another episode, emotional murder. I decided to get a divorce. After several months of being separated, he realized that he had lost me and he didn't want to be what he was and live the way he was living anymore. He tried numerous times to get back together and I refused. So he eventually committed suicide. I found out right away, called 911, and he was rescued in the last minute. He was in the hospital for three days and when he got better, they sent him to a psychiatric hospital. I was with him the whole time, and now we've been spending time together again. We do live in separate homes, and he's now seeing a psychologist. He's on medication for his depression, so that's under control. And now he is begging me to give him another chance, 
and I've been considering it, but it's very hard for me to not think about the past. I still love him and I want this to work out, but I'm afraid that he will fall back into the old habit of using drugs. I don't think he'd ever cheat on me again, but I'm just not sure if I even still love him. Now, I just want to note, (laughs) that's the way you wrote it. You started off that sentence saying, I still love him. And then at the the end of the sentence, you said, I'm not even sure if I still love him. Just a note. (laughs) We'll talk about that in a minute. Anyway, uh, you finished the letter off by saying, he's been trying to get me to move in with him, but I'm not ready. I know there are no guarantees in relationships, but I've been through so much that I can't bear any more heartaches. Can you help? All right, Jane, that is a heartfelt letter, and I'm sure you've had to deal with some pain there because when you have a partner that threatens or even follows through with suicide, then what you have is a very volatile situation. Because here, let me just let me just tell you this. When you're with someone who absolutely begs to be with you and can't stand the thought of not being with you and even commits suicide because he can't be with you, you are working with an unstable person. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm not saying he's got problems. That's not for me to decide. But I do know that when you are begged, please come back into my life. Please, I'll change. Please, with you, I'm a happy person. And without you, I'm an unhappy person. When that kind of energy is thrown at you, guess what? All the pressure to make him happy is on you. And I want you to really consider what that means. When all the pressure to make someone else happy is on you, especially someone who might be unstable, who might take drugs and commit suicide or get into severe depression because you're not there, do you really want that responsibility? That is massive. That is a huge responsibility. I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want it. And I don't know what you want in your life. Maybe you would have a complementary relationship where you are a helper and he is the needy one. Now, I'm not saying that's a good relationship. (laughs) That is a codependent relationship. That is someone who needs and needs and needs and the other person gives and gives and gives. Now, that kind of relationship can work for the first few months because you realize something about your partner uh, that really compliments you. I'm such a helper. I'm such a giver. And that person needs what I give and loves what I give. It just seems to work out so perfectly. And maybe they're even giving back and you feel like there's some reciprocation. Or at least you're getting some needs met because when you give, it feels good. But then after a few months, things start to get a little old. Things start to feel one-sided. Things just don't feel right at all. And you realize, wow, I've fallen in love and now I'm in this relationship where I'm starting to get burnt out. It could take a few months, it could take up to a year or more, but you start feeling it pretty quickly because you realize, oh, 
I was giving all this time hoping that he would become a better person and get his needs met and then become more stable. But what happens in codependent relationships is quite the opposite. You give and give and give and that person becomes more and more needy and just lives the life they're handed. Really. This is the same thing that happened to my parents. Well, at least my mom and my stepfather. She gave and gave and gave and he took and took and just kept taking because he was an alcoholic and he didn't know how to handle his life by himself. So she took care of everything that he couldn't and it got more and more like that over the years. When he fell, she picked him up. When he broke a glass, she cleaned it up. When he passed out in the snow, (laughs) which did happen, she pulled him out of the snow and brought him in the house. Uh, This was a codependent relationship that turned into a very one-sided struggle for my for my mom my stepfather had it made (laughs) he could drink and talk to girls online and get away with a lot of stuff he could be drunk all the time because no matter what the bills would get paid the house would get cleaned everything would be taken care of and he was allowed to be who he always was at least in the marriage now How is that helpful to the person you love? Let's just say that you love this man that you used to be married to. How is it helpful for you to be there to fulfill his desperate needs? I hate to say it that way, but some of it might be desperate. It's like a desperation, like I need you. How is it helpful to him for you to be there to complete him? You've heard that term. You complete me. How is it helpful for you to be there to make him happy? Imagine if that was your job. It's kind of like being a salesman. And nothing against salesmen. But sometimes you meet these salesmen that all they want to do is make sure you're happy. How's it going today? It's going great. Well, what can I do for you? Can I get you some coffee? Well, that would be great. Thanks. Hey, have you checked out this car over here? No, I haven't. Well, what are you looking for? What can I help you with? You know, they're always up and chipper and some salesmen are genuine and they feel that way inside. And some of them get burnt out and you can tell that they're not genuine. And it's like the waiter who waited on a hundred people before you and each one of them was mean and they're trying to be nice to you. They get burnt out. They don't even have the energy to pretend to be nice anymore and they can't. So they have this attitude that when they finally get to your table, it's like, man, this guy's mad or man, this guy is a terrible server. You can just tell that some people get burnt out. This is what happens. You reach a burnout point with people who are desperate for you to be in their life. So I don't know if that's exactly your situation, but I do know this. Uh, You said that, you know, I still love him. And then you said, I don't even know if I still love him, which tells me there's a little conflict inside of you. So here's a a way to get past this conflict. Ask yourself this. Do I love myself enough to be with this person or not? That's step one. Step two is, do I love him enough to be with him or not? In other words, do I love myself enough to meet my needs first and then his? Do I honor myself 
Do I respect myself enough to take care of me first and then take care of him? Do I love myself enough to make sure I'm healthy, emotionally healthy for this relationship before I get back into it? Do I love him enough to make sure that he's emotionally healthy before he gets back into this relationship? How do you define emotional health? Simple. Do you need someone else to complete you? Do you need someone else to fulfill you? I know there are needs. There are hormonal needs. There are sexual needs. There are romantic companionship needs. Those are all needs and desires and wants. Something draws us to those qualities. But when they motivate you to make decisions that might be bad for you, then what is behind that motivation? When you're so motivated to be with someone, someone who has a clear history of the behavior that you don't like, then again you come back to yourself and go, do I love myself enough so that I don't get involved in a situation like that again? Or do I love him enough that I want him to heal? And what does that mean? (laughs) Emotional health is when you get to a point when you are okay being alone. You want to be with someone else, but you're okay being alone. That's the emotional romantic health. There's other emotional health too, like resolving the pain from your past and things like that. And it is related because if you resolve a lot of the hurt and pain or shame and guilt and embarrassment from the past, then you don't look for resolution or resolve in other people for that fulfillment, if that makes sense. So when you bring pain throughout your life into situations, into relationships, you're looking for the other person to somehow mask that pain or heal that pain inside of you. And other people can do that for you, for sure. But when you're looking for it and you base a relationship on that, once the pain is masked or extinguished or healed in some way, what's next? What's left? It's where, it's where you go after those few months have passed. What's next? And is this going to last the way it is? Is this stable enough to last? And the real question when you're getting into a relationship is who is this person? What is his character or her? What drives them in life? What motivates them in life? Do they have any motivation? Do they have desires to fulfill themselves in some way so that you're not responsible for doing all the work? I say all these things from experience because I used to be the needy one. I used to be the one looking for that perfect woman that would fill the void that I had inside of me. I tell you what, I found her. I found her several times in different relationships. What void do I have inside of me? Ah, she would take care of that void. Great. And that becomes a relationship of burnout because eventually she's not going to have it in her to fill that void anymore. So that's important. When you're going into a relationship, what void do I need someone else to fulfill? And will they be able to do it on a consistent basis? Or am I willing to heal from that void? 
Am I willing to heal from the lack I feel or from the dysfunction that I carry with me or from the pain or hurt from the past that I still haven't addressed yet or released yet? Am I willing to resolve that? And what my girlfriend says, clean up my <laughs> And I had to beep that out, of course. Am I willing to resolve that first before getting into back into a relationship with this other person or into another relationship with anyone else? Because when I carry those things around, you've heard me say this before, you will always attract the level of dysfunction that you're at in someone else. The person that you bring into your life will be the mirror for your own dysfunction, for your own pain, for, your, for the healing that you need to go through. You'll always attract that person. So you have to be really careful what immediate needs they're going to fulfill and that what long-term needs and wants and desires they can fulfill or not. And sometimes this is hard because the person starting a relationship wants to show you what they think you want to see. So you have to figure out who they are when they're not with you. And one way to do that is just to see how they treat other people. How do they treat the waiter? How do they treat their parents? How do they treat their siblings? How do they treat their coworkers, male and female? Just find out who they are all around. That doesn't give you the definitive label on who they are. Because there are some sociopathic people out there that can dupe everyone. And I've seen these people. And they are very hard to spot. Um, but I'm not trying to scare you or anything. But you just have to be careful uh, when you meet people that seem so perfect to be true. There's got to be something else there. That doesn't mean all the time. You just have to be aware. And when you start getting the warning signs, that's when you start listening. But, you know, if the warning signs aren't there and the person's treating everyone well and kind and generous, then you probably got something good there. But regardless, in your situation, Jane, I think I called you, I just want you to be highly cognizant that getting into this relationship again because someone is begging you to get back into it is kind of a sketchy road to travel. Because what's going to happen when, say, a year from now or 10 years from now, you decide that, you know, it's probably not a good idea to be in this relationship. Are you going to have to face uh, an attempted suicide again? Are you going to have to face someone going, no, please don't leave, and then making you feel, trying to make you feel guilty? What are you going to have to face if that happens again? Because one of the qualifiers for me for a fantastic, stable relationship is being able to tell my partner anything without them going into such a dark place that they can't get back or they go into depression. It's being able to tell my partner things that, you know, I really want this to work out, but we're trying and it's not working. And then for them not to go try to kill themselves. I just don't want that in my life. I don't want that thought coming into my life. That doesn't mean that's who he is today. I don't know who he is today. But I do know that when you come from a desperate place, like, please come back into my life, you do have to be careful. And I just want to give you that as one of my opinions. I certainly don't want to dictate who you hang out with. It's not up to me to say that. But, you know, I see these red flags and I want to share them with you 
even if it's a hard truth to hear, because I want you to be in a healthy place with healthy people. You've heard the quote, right? Jim Rohn says, you are the average of the five people that you hang out with most. So imagine the closest people that you hang out with. What comes off of them and lands on you? What rubs off of them and becomes part of you? Who do you hang out with that you will eventually be like in some way? Or be so repelled by that you can't stand to be around them anymore? I won't lie, it's wonderful to be loved and cared for and be pursued in that way. But when it comes from a desperate need, like somebody else needs that to fulfill something in them, instead of just coming from a healthy place of wanting to share their life with you and giving you the option without guilt of saying yes or no, that's a much better approach in my opinion. So that's what I have for you, Jen. I hope it helps. This is a tough situation. I'm I'm so glad that you wrote and shared that with me and I hope that uh, it goes well for you and for him as well. I hope that he's able to heal from whatever's going on in his life so that he can have a perspective of life that's much healthier and uh, much more optimistic. You shared some other stuff that uh, he went through and yeah, it's tough, but um, sometimes we have these trials and tribulations that come into our lives and we just have to go through the test and this helps our healing, believe it or not. It helps us heal because it really challenges us. And the bigger the challenge, the bigger the healing, if we're willing to take those steps. Thank you again, Jane. And thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you listening to this sometimes strange personal growth show. <laughs> but I am so glad that you joined me and we will talk again very soon. Until then. All right, as the show comes to a close, I always mention that I do one-on-one coaching, so I just wanted to mention that before I said my goodbye to you and The reason I mention it to you is because sometimes you need more than just a show to listen to and hope that things go well and hope that you're able to heal yourself and move on. It is possible. I've done a lot of that. I've done a lot of introspection and have been able to heal from a lot of stuff. But uh, sometimes I don't have the right tools. So I have to reach out to someone else and go, hey, I'm having trouble with this. I need help with this. There's something blocking me. There's something challenging me here and I cannot get past it. So if you reach that point yourself, if you get to a point where you just can't get past some mental roadblock that is stopping you from creating the life you want, reach out to me. Go to theoverwhelmbrain.com and click on Coach with Paul. You can um, schedule a 15-minute free consultation. That way you can get an idea of how I operate and Make sure I'm the same person on the air as I am on the phone. (laughs) And we can do it over the phone if you want, anywhere in the world. Um, Also, I I like video chat. So if you have a webcam or a phone with a camera, we can do it on video as well. But some people don't like to show their face and that's fine. 
Uh, it's nice to be able to do it from the comfort of anywhere you want. You don't have to go to an office. But if you want to connect, let's do it. Again, theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Click on Coach with Paul, and I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Asha with GetOutOfTheMess.com. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, give her a call, 678-355-8777. Ask her if this service is right for you. What service is that, you say? (laughs) It's legal insurance. You pay like $20 a month, and basically anything that comes up, you can just pick up the phone and call an attorney. If you've ever called an attorney, you realize that they start charging you by the minute really quick. But with this service, you can pick up the phone and it's already in the subscription cost. So it's worth every penny and it makes up for itself hundreds of times over sometimes. Give Asha a call. She'll connect you. 678-355-8777 or go to getoutofthemess.com. And I want to thank you. If you've purchased one of my books on Amazon or maybe you purchased a worksheet on the website or used the Amazon link to shop, then you are giving back to the show. You know, Amazon doesn't make us a ton of money, but I can tell you're using it. I can tell you're shopping through Amazon because it's paying for some of the technical stuff that this show needs to pay for. And I also want to share with you that if you go to the website, theoverwhelmedbrain.com, you can become a yearly contributor to the show. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you've ever listened to NPR, their show runs on donations. And this show runs on donations. I've had to find ways to make it easy for people to donate, like creating that Amazon link. It's a very easy way because it's what people already do. They're going to go to Amazon, so you might as well use the link on theoverwhelmedbrain.com, which does give back to the show. But there's another way to do it, and that is to become a yearly member, a TOB member. Now, I'm still hashing out the details, but you can find out everything you want to find out by going to theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash member. And as a member, you're going to get things that nobody else gets. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash member. And I hope to see you on the inside. Otherwise, I want to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain, especially one of my favorites that happens in between each and every segment. Thank you, Kevin. And in closing, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been to a seminar where after the seminar, you're pumped up? And then you get home and you're still pumped up for at least two or three days. And then on day three or four or five, work starts again. Family comes back into your life the same way they always showed up. (laughs) Friends and family come back and suddenly you're in the routine again. Suddenly you're right there where you were before that seminar ever happened. And then you're like, Oh, I had all these ideas and I had all these, all this ambition and I was going to do things with my life. I was going to do things that changed my life. Yet here I am, back at work, back doing the same things I did before I left. I've had that feeling. 
I've been to seminars where that's exactly what happened. And all the notes that I took in my notebook, I never opened again. Why is that? <laughs> well, one of the reasons is because once you're out of that environment and back in your old environment, you have old associations, you have old references, you have everything that you connected with before is now back in your life again. It's kind of like having kryptonite in your home. You know, Superman, right? He gets weak around kryptonite. So he leaves that and suddenly he feels energized. There's no more kryptonite in his life. He's at the seminar and then he comes home and he feels like, oh, it's home again. But I still have all this energy, but oh, I just feel like, oh, I'm back. (laughs) Well, that kryptonite is the status quo. That's your stagnation. That's your rut. And if you can't get away from that kryptonite, you have to do something. You have to do something that keeps that momentum. So if you take the first step into something, if you take the first step into a seminar or you find someone that really you really resonate with, a mentor or a coach, and you really start talking with him or her and you get involved in new activities and then you don't go back. That means you're back in your kryptonite. You're back in that place because all these old associations are back too. You go back to that same place. So how do you get beyond that? The secret is really simple. You have to take the second step once you get home. You have to. You have to take the second step. You did the first step. That was the hardest step. Okay, I'm going to take a leap of faith and I'm going to do this thing. All right, I did this thing. Now I got to take the second step. So should I procrastinate and just do it the next day? Or do I need to take the second step now? You got to take that second step right away. In fact, you may want to find a way to lock yourself in. Find an accountability partner. Find someone and tell them, what you're going to do as your second step. That way they can call you in a day or two and say, have you done it? What's going on with that? And then when you go, well, I'm just going to do it tomorrow. And they're going to go, what? And then you're going to be like, oh, uh, I feel kind of bad. I told you I would. Now I'm not. Now I have to let you down and let me down. (laughs) I mean, it's easier when you have someone there to say, you told me you would. What's going on? I've got to hold you accountable for this. So find someone like that. Or if you don't have an accountability partner, then you really have to dig in deep and find that accountability in yourself. And one of the ways that I do that, one of the ways I make myself accountable for some of the things I do is get away from home. Home is not my kryptonite, but it can be for some people. But just being there means I'm comfortable. I'm stagnant and comfortable. (laughs) I shouldn't say stagnant, but I'm in my routine. I'm in my routine and I'm comfortable. So why bother writing this article? Why bother writing another chapter of my book? Why bother? I'm comfortable here. I'm going to have a glass of champagne and sit down and watch TV. I mean, I don't typically do that, but that that might be something that crosses my mind because I'm comfortable. So what do I do? I make a commitment to leave at least once a week to sit in a Panera Bread, to sit in a Starbucks, to sit somewhere where I don't have all the familiar stuff around me. When I'm away from my stuff, when I'm away from my desk, when I'm away from the people I love, 
even though there's no hardship at home, when I'm away from those people, I'm suddenly in my own thoughts. I'm in that seminar mode again. I'm in that place that, wow, I could move mountains now because I'm not comfortable anymore. I mean, I am comfortable, but I'm not in my environment. I am outside of that. I am influenced in other ways. It's almost like the influence comes from within instead of outside of me. My influence at home comes from the people I love and the environment I love. And that's just so comfortable. (laughs) So I recommend planning a day out at least once a week, if you can, where you're in an environment that is pleasant, but not home or not your office or someplace where you're so used to being that you get complacent, that you tend to procrastinate. So go from home comfort to seminar comfort, if that makes any sense. (laughs) I hope that helps. So in order to do that, you may have to open your mind and step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.